Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome to the podcast. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by Belay. Once upon a time, social media was easy enough to manage on your own. A tweet here, follow there, and some icons in the footer of our websites and emails, and that was it, right? Set it and forget. But not anymore, because now social media moves at the speed of life. The good news, however, is that social media has leveled the exposure playing field, and its opportunities are endless for businesses to increase brand awareness and new customer gains, all without paying to play like in the traditional advertising media days of yore. But if you're a small to medium business, the thought of hiring someone to manage your social presence seems lofty at best and decadently impossible at worst. Thankfully, our friends at Belay understand this. We've actually had Belay on the podcast before, not as a sponsor, they're sponsoring this episode, but we've had the founders on because they're great. And with nearly 11 years of experience matching thousands of organizations with US-based social media strategists, They have the right support ready to help your business grow without the added stress of having to do everything on your own. Now, to help you get started, Belay is offering their resource, Hiring Isn't Hard, Nine Secrets That Make It Easy, for free to all of the podcast listeners right now. Get back to doing what only you can do today. All you have to do to get this really amazing resource is just text SPI to 55123 for this free resource today. That's SPI to 55123. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, his club thumbs look like Among Us characters, Pat Flynn. All right, we're going to talk some numbers. We're going to talk some numbers today, but don't be scared. I don't mean numbers like how many downloads this podcast has had, 65 million downloads, by the way. Um, see, even when I say it like that, like I can't pretend to just be cocky like that. It just makes me feel icky. Yes, we have gotten 65 million downloads, and I think it's important to not be cocky, but be confident and let people know your credentials and it's social proof. It allows for people to, in their brain, go, wow, okay, so other people listen to this show, then maybe I should listen to this show too. Oh, they're associated with this person, cool. Maybe I can learn something from them as well, right? It's, yeah, important to share these things and numbers are something that we can share and should share. But I think, you know, it goes way beyond the numbers. It's about the human, the person, the actual living being on the other end of that number. And you'll hear marketers all the time talk about these numbers as their driving force for why you should buy or why you should pay attention. No, it should be in support of why you should pay attention, something that helps you further believe the case that they're making. But if they are not sharing how they can help you, if there is not something relatable, or if they are not understanding what you're going through, then all those numbers are just there trying to cover up something else. Now, that's not where I thought this episode was gonna go, but we're gonna go there, right? We usually have these Friday follow-up episodes go as a result of the previous episode that we recorded, and it kind of has to do with that, right? Because we spoke with Dustin Backey, who spoke about accessibility online, Yeah, like your websites and your audio and your video being accessible to those who may be hearing impaired or those who might be visually impaired and so on and so forth. And it should be equal for everybody in terms of the chance that a person has to consume your content, right? We do not want a person's disability, if possible, to stop them from still consuming the great content that you're creating. So go ahead and listen to episode 515 if you haven't already. It's a great one. It's one that, in fact, Dustin came up to me. He's like, Pat, nobody is talking about this stuff, but it's so important. And it makes me wonder about the numbers and why people aren't talking about this. Are we not focused on accessibility online because, well, it doesn't make sense for the numbers. Most people 
who visit our websites in general are not going to need additional help to get that content. So does that mean we should ignore everybody else? No. If that were the case, then you wouldn't see handicap ramps or parking spaces that are actually of value and help and serve those who need it. And that's really what this is all about to me. Serving those who are in your audience, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what challenges they might have. And this is why I still, every single month, love having direct conversations with people in my audience. I try to make it happen every month, 10 people. Usually it's actually initiated on a direct message nowadays on Instagram or Twitter, sometimes on Facebook, but I'm not very active on there anymore. Before it was me reaching out to people on my email list. And I still try to do that in fact, because those are warm people who are on the list warm human beings who have challenges, who have struggles, who need solutions. And if I can go in there and find out what they might need help with, then I can better serve them and everybody else. This is why I love shows like Ask Pat, because on Ask Pat, I can invite a person on who is struggling, who is on my list, who I can coach. And I can ask deeper questions to go further to find the answers. Now, this Friday episode is not gonna be about accessibility, go and listen to 515 if you if you haven't already. This episode is going to be about connection. And this ties into Superfans. Because my book, Superfans, which is, again, thank you so, so much. It is, I'm not marketing it. It's marketing itself. And I think that speaks to how important this kind of stuff is. But I also think it speaks to just how much we all realize that that's how it should always be. And by it, I mean not building for followers, not building for subscribers, not even building for customers, but building for an experience that an individual can have so that they can become a fan. Some of this happens in a one-on-one capacity. A lot of it can happen from a one-to-many capacity. So make sure if you haven't done so already, make sure you check out Super fans, thank you so. This is like the first time I'm asking people to uh, here in the podcast to go check it out. Maybe you haven't even heard of it. I have been doing a very poor job of marketing it in that way. However, we've been doing a great job of still seeing it go out there, and I still get you know. I and, and the reason I know this is because I see the sales numbers, and then I see the check come in every quarter from my publisher, and it's just an amazing feeling. Thank you so so much. And again, those earnings are a byproduct of how well the book serves the audience. And that audience, you, are sharing it with others. And it just makes me so happy. And I'm so incredibly happy, not just because that it means that there's more money coming in, but because it's working for you. And you are trusting the process and getting value from it enough to then go and share it with others. And that's really cool. Anyway, what I talk about in Superfans is this idea that people wanna be heard. They wanna be seen. They want to be recognized. They want to feel loved. And online, because we're hiding behind our keyboards or behind our microphones sometimes, we feel like, well, just creating content is enough. But it's not. It's actually getting into the conversations and learning about who it is that's in your audience and giving everybody an equal chance to be heard. I think that's really key. And if you are just starting out, you actually have a huge advantage. You have an advantage being smaller starting out from scratch. Because I can't possibly have a one-on-one conversation with everybody. It's literally impossible for me to do. However, my way to still solve problems is to have as many conversations as I can and try to deduce the patterns of what people need help with and how I can help the most and hopefully reach more people that way. But if you're just starting out, you have the ability to reach a larger percentage of people who are in your target audience who have gotten to know you or learn about you. And that can happen in a little group somewhere, a Facebook group, a circle group, a LinkedIn group. It might happen in a community that you live in. It might happen in a WhatsApp group text that you might have or within a certain hashtag on Twitter. And as a result of that, you can have these one-on-one conversations and learn more about who else you might need to find out there. And no, it's not that scalable right away. But it shouldn't be. Because when you start to scale up, you start to amplify what you have. 
And if you don't have much knowledge about who your business is or who it is you're serving in your business, then you're just amplifying that fact. So when you start out, you gotta get that foundation of who is it that you're serving? What language do they use? How do you know that? You have conversations with them. Use the direct message platforms that you have on your device, literally in your hands right now, or in your pocket, or next to you in the car, or chilling on the floor because you're at the gym and you don't want to hold the phone because it's distracting because you're pumping iron. You have access to a tool that allows you to connect with people for free. Yet how much of your day are you actually doing that? Or are you rather focusing on those things at scale? And what are you scaling? Probably something good, hopefully, but it could be made better through these conversations. And when you have these conversations, people are stoked. This is very unusual still, especially when it's meaningful and purposefully coming from a place of service. Because a lot of times these DMs that come our way, I mean, I get dozens a day that are like, hey, I read your last post and I believe that you could utilize our SEO services. It's like, hi, nice to meet you too, right? That That's not cool. But when you generally reach out, when you gen- generally and genuinely reach out and actually trying to help people and asking questions and, you know, there's an art to that and that takes practice. But again, start a conversation. It's casual. It's not confrontational you can turn it into something that could be amazingly beautiful for both of you. I mean, this has happened. This is what I teach in my book, Will It Fly, right? And Will It Fly, that's about validating your business ideas. So going out there and chatting with people about what they might need help with and then potentially offering them first look at your course or you know free coaching to go through a process and then you learn as you as you go and you might find that you do like it or you don't like it i don't know you're validating it that's the whole point of my book will it fly but with this with super fans i mean you're making connections that could last and you could become friends and those people become fans who start talking about you with others because here's what you're doing and i learned this from this analogy from jordan harbinger who has been on the show here before go ahead and check out the jordan harbinger show if you haven't What you're doing here when you reach out to your community one-on-one and you have conversations with no intention other than learning how you can better help them. You're not there selling. You're not reaching out to them and saying, hey, you know, Jody, thank you for following the blog and the podcast. I appreciate that. By the way, I have a new ebook that came out. I know we've never met before. I know that you listen to me. So go buy from me now. What? That's kind of rude. Right. Hopefully, maybe if you can't have a one on one, they're at least getting into a email list somewhere and you've given them some value up front and then you continue to to deliver value. You continue to tell story and relate and prove your expertise and share how you've helped others. And then, okay, there's the ask. Right. Go on a couple dates first before you ask for the whatever. (laughs) But Jordan said, you want to dig your well before you're thirsty. Because if you're digging your well when you're thirsty, it's already too late. So I challenge you to get more connected to your audience. I challenge you to have more conversations. And it's simple. You don't even need to type anything. Because what you could do is use these platforms like, for example, Instagram. You reach out to somebody who happens to be following you on Instagram Maybe they've commented on a recent post about a topic that relates to what it is your niche is about. You reach out to them, send them a quick little video. It doesn't have to be professional. In fact, if it's professional, it's too staged. Be genuine, be real, heart to heart. Have a conversation with no other intention than just to connect and see how they're doing, okay? You could use a voice. If you don't wanna put yourself on camera, just use the voice message thing. It's right there next to where you type. You hold it down, it's a microphone, and then you talk. And it sounds very intimate, it sounds very personalized, and whenever I do this, this is how I reply to most of my DMs. I I don't always have a chance to because I'm not in a place to talk, but if I do, maybe if I'm in the car or if I am on a walk or something and I can speak, I just have my AirPods on, 99% reply rate, 90, percent of those people are blown away. So I challenge you to give that a shot. And then I challenge you to, if you haven't already purchased this, go ahead and check out 
superfans. Because it would mean the world to me for you to take action on that and build what I feel is long-term business success. And that is through the building of fans, true, real experiences that are worth sharing, that make people feel special, that make people feel like they belong, that they are seen and recognized for something. And no matter what happens in social media, no matter what happens on all the platforms out there, when you have super fans, they'll follow you no matter where you go. Thank you. And again, listen to 515, the last episode prior to this one with Dustin Backey to learn more about accessibility online. Very important. And I'm glad to have been able to use this platform to amplify that message. And I hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much for all the reviews. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in next week's episode. Until then, peace out, take care. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income podcast at smartpassiveincome.com. I'm your host, Pat Flynn. Our senior producer is Sarah Jane Hess. Our series producer is David Grabowski. And our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. The Smart Passive Income podcast is a production of SPI Media. We'll catch you in the next session. Also, today's show is sponsored by AppSumo, the leading digital marketplace for entrepreneurs like you and a great way to get your product in front of over 1 million entrepreneurs, founders, and small businesses. So here's what's going on. They're giving away their entire $1 million Black Friday marketing budget to creators like you. If you have an ebook, an online course, templates, or any other digital products, this is for you. You list your product on AppSumo between September 15th and November 17th. And the first 400 offers to go live will receive $1,000. The next 2,000 will get 250. And everyone who gets listed gets entered to be one of the 10 lucky winners to potentially receive $10,000. So go to AppSumo.com slash Pat Flynn to list your product today and cash in on this amazing deal. Again, AppSumo.com slash Pat Flynn. Link in the description as well. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. Outsider Coffee. You're listening to Outsider Nation, the podcast that's waking people up. Well, hello and welcome back to the Outsider Nation podcast. I am Lindsay McPhail. Hey everybody, CJ McPhail. Today we got something for you and, and we've gone back and forth on how we're going to present this because we know that it's a message that at some point in our lives we all need to hear, but it might not be for everybody right now. Now, so today we want to talk about how to confront the biggest dream killer, your biggest dream killer, our biggest dream killer, the number one thing that kind of stops us in our track. We talk a lot about just take the next step, just Mm -hmm. take the next step, take the small step, do small things. It doesn't have to be this big, scary thing, but at some point we get to the next step and the next step requires us to say i'm all in yeah this message as Lindsay said we we struggle with it because it's not necessarily for everyone but yet it is for everyone Mm -hmm. and it's this weird sort of grayness that we're we're wrestling with and we decided we're just going to go for it Mm -hmm. because even if you are one of those people who would say and i would challenge you if you do as to why you're saying it i'm not ready for that um maybe you're not but you need to understand what's going to be in your way when you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's what we faced, what we continue to face. In fact, this week is, uh, since our move to the South Carolina, this will probably be our biggest week mm-hmm. of facing some giants mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. in the same vein of what we're going to talk about today. So that's it. The thing that kills our dreams is when we get to that step 
And that the step that says you have to be all in the step that says, if you're creating a business, you have to risk everything or, or substantially, you have to invest in a way that's going to be painful in a way that's going to probably keep you awake at night. Because if, if what you're investing in doesn't actually work, you're going to lose a lot. It might be that step where you have, you know, you've taken all the steps, you've bought your workout outfit, you've, you know, got your gym membership and you have to go in and you've met with your trainer and now you have to actually do the work. Mm -hmm. It might be the step after you and your spouse make the commitment to go to marriage counseling and you get in there and you start hearing things about yourself that you don't want to hear. And you know that the next step is going to require something of you that you've never given before. And it's that next step, no matter what your thing is, when, when it requires all of you, when it requires you to stop dabbling or stop talking about when it requires action and it requires sacrifice. And we get to this step and we decide, am I going to go forward? Am I worth it? Is my dream worth it? Is living my purpose? Is, is it worth the sacrifice that I'm about to make? Yeah. It's, Really, to boil it into simple terms, it's literally investing. Mm. We're talking about nitty-gritty details now, Mm -hmm. but getting into the meat of it, it's investing money. Are you willing? You're at a point, and some of you are definitely there. In fact, maybe many of you, I don't know, Mm -hmm. are definitely there where you've taken steps, and you've sent emails, and you've done research, Mm -hmm. and you've talked to some friends and family. Maybe you've talked to your spouse, and maybe you're in agreement, but now it's not going to happen if you're not willing to invest money. For us, it was willing to invest significant amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Lindsay and I listened to a, a, a message, I don't know, several years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially, I don't think this is the actual title, but the, the point of it is putting all of your chips on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you willing to put all of your chips on the table? Mm-hmm. And until you are, you're always going to hesitate. You're always mm-hmm. going to wonder. There's always going to be this element of fear that will rise up and knock you down. Um, and it really hit us hard, uh, both differently, but both in the same way in terms of we aren't there. Mm-hmm. And that's what birthed Outsider. Yeah. We had so many things going for us. We had so many good ideas. We had locations. We had mm-hmm. podcasts. We had gone to some leadership training. We had you fill in the blank. And all that was beautiful. And it all was necessary. And that's where some of you are. But the next step for us from a business perspective was, okay, are we going to do this or not? And if we are, it's going to require a giant amount of money from our mm-hmm. perspective. Maybe it wouldn't be a lot of money for some of you. Um, but for us, it was all of the chips on the table. Mm-hmm. It was talking about retirement accounts. It was mm-hmm. talking about other investments, other our savings account, everything. Mm-hmm. Are we willing to put it all in because we believe so much in our case, in our mission? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, the business behind the mission that we're willing to do it. Our answer was yes, and we did. But I think it's important to say, and if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of episodes, you probably know the story that we lost everything. I mean, we lost everything before we risked it all again. And so for us, when we went in and we said, okay, we're going to do it, we're going to give up CJ's corporate six-figure job that had insurance and retirement, we're going to, we're going to put everything that we have, everything that we work toward our reputation, um, financially, our savings, uh, our, all of our energy, we're putting it toward this one thing. And we know what it means to quote fail. We know what it means to lose everything. We know what it means to fall on our face and have to crawl back, um, you know, and, and feel that humiliation of a fail. But what we know is a huge thing in combating or confronting this thing that wants to hold us back is how we view failure. And if we can look at failure as a learning experience, if we can know in the deepest parts of who we are, that Mm -hmm. failing doesn't mean that we are failures, Mm -hmm. it redefines how we're willing to show up. It redefines what we're willing to say yes to and how we're willing to risk. And I think if we're not comfortable with failure, we're never going to say we're all in. I'm all in. If we can't get to a place where we know that failure is necessary, that failure is 
um, rough and will, could rip our guts out. Um, but it's not going to kill us. It's not going to stop us. You know, when we get comfortable with that word, we can say honestly and genuinely, even if we're afraid, even if we don't have all the answers, we can say, I don't know everything, but I know I'm all in. We're still in the midst, uh, as you guys know, of mm-hmm. a political turmoil. We're in the midst mm-hmm. of a pandemic. We're in the midst of uh, a lot of uncertainty. And some there's two perspectives, and I just want to call this out and have you consider this. One is, well, this would be a crazy time to talk about mm-hmm. letting go of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is, there's never been a better time in my life mm-hmm. because of everything else going on than for me to go ahead and jump ship now. Mm-hmm. Um, you can guess where we might land. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're definitely going to be those, the jump ship, but I don't say that lightly. Mm-hmm. And some of you, if, if you're like me, before I made the investment, before we did and went all in, I used to get angry at people that said this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I used to feel, I used to tell, here's the stories I used to say to myself, they don't know me, mm-hmm. must be nice. Um, mm-hmm. They probably have way more money than I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So even if they lost it all, I'll bet they still could. Yeah. And they don't get it, it yeah. or survive yeah. it. So they just don't get it. Yeah. And if you're saying that, congratulations, you're in good company. I said it <laughs> right with you. I'm telling you, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we listen to these podcasts all the time. Just listen to one this morning. But this woman had $30,000 to her name. It was everything. It was, it might as well have been $30 million to her. She couldn't even believe she'd saved up this money. And she took it all and in one day invested it. Hmm. Um, and she now has, it's a great story, a $100 million company um, doing really well for women's sports apparel in this case. But the point is, some of you are at this place where it's time to invest. And let me tell you this, it's very different to go to a spouse, let's say, or a partner and say, hey, uh, I want to go to a conference and mm-hmm. have the spouse or partner go, oh, that sounds awesome and mm-hmm. let's go mm-hmm. versus, hey, spouse or partner, uh, I think this is so great and I think there's so much potential and I'm so excited to give it a shot. I would like to talk about investing $50,000, a mm-hmm. hundred, uh, or for, for us, it was much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever the case is, that's but a different conversation. I want to call that out for a second because it's not like we had 50,000 or hundreds of thousands sitting in the bank. We had to leverage what we had. We had to go through yep. an exhaustive process of leveraging what we had and putting it all out there. So you quit your job before we even started, like opened Outsider. Like we were in the process, you quit your job. We had no income, we had leveraged everything. We had no backup plan. True. So it's not like we were just sitting there with money in the bank. It's not like it's, and and maybe for you, it's not money. Maybe it is money, but maybe it's just what's gonna cost, the next step is asking you to provide something that you don't just have sitting around. It's asking you to leverage what you have. It's asking you to dig deep and answer those tough questions. Or maybe it is money. And it's saying, you don't have 50 or or $100,000, but if you want this bad enough, you will go find it. And you will put yourself out there and you will make yourself uncomfortable. That's right. And there's plenty of examples of people starting great things for $500. Yeah. But still $500 to yeah. them. And in their context, might yeah. as well have been $500 million. Yeah. I mean, it just felt like they were giving up the world. Mm-hmm. So this isn't about a specific number. Mm-hmm. This is about you saying you're far enough down the road. You've taken some smaller risk, mm-hmm. which is amazing because that's the, you're in the top 1% of the world right there. Mm-hmm. But now, but now it's time to either get serious or let it go. Yeah. And some of you are there. And what we want to do is lovingly challenge you to take that step. Yeah. Make that literal now investment. Um, we met with a couple actually that owns a company and I won't give it away because I don't have their permission, but they own a company, great couple, great family, um, who needed to buy a piece of equipment. Remember they mm-hmm. came to our house for mm-hmm. dinner and, oh, yeah, um, yeah. and it was terrifying for them. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. And th- they knew if, th- if they didn't buy this piece of equipment, there's no way they could go to the next level. Yeah. But still, this piece of equipment was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty proud of them. They did. They and their business the is like, I like, love just watching how it's... You see them almost yeah. every day, if not every day, I don't know, on Instagram and Facebook and looking at things they're creating literally with that equipment that yeah. they bought that we had this great conversation yeah. about at our dining table in Oregon. And I'm so proud of them. Yeah. So for them, it was a piece of equipment to get them to the next level. Our question today is, what is it for you? Yeah. 
And here's the thing, going back to that podcast about, um, I think it was pushing your chips to the middle of the table to say, I have these chips and I'm, I'm pushing them in. I, I don't want to live a life where comfort was my biggest priority. Um, he said, the same guy said, what if you get to the end of your life only to realize you never discovered your purpose? Mm-hmm. And, and we're not saying you have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to discover your purpose. What we are saying is so often um, we talk about what we dream about, what we want to do someday or how we want to make an impact in the world. And we stop when we get to the step that says, I require something of you. Like the next step requires that sacrifice that hurts a little that Mm -hmm. is going to cost you in terms of maybe the life that you're used to, or um, maybe it will cost you friends. Maybe it will cost you relationships that are unhealthy because you have to get to a point um, where you can say, me going after my purpose um, and how I know that I'm supposed to impact the world, it's okay. Like it's worth the sacrifice. The risk is worth the sacrifice. Yeah. And too many times we see incredible people get to this point and question themselves and question if they really are the person to go after this. And they know that it's going to cost something and so they turn around and they don't keep moving forward. And the world is missing out on who they are and what they have to bring because they're too afraid to make that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. To me, people in retirement, uh, and I know this with a lot of experience, look back. Uh, at their life. And this is what they wish they would have done when they were younger. Um, now define younger. It doesn't matter. Um, we're all living a lot longer today. Um, and some of the best companies we know were started by men and women in their sixties and seventies, uh, even in their eighties. So this isn't an age judgment. This is just saying often people get to the end of their life or near the end of their life. And they wish if they could do one thing, they would go back and take some additional risk in areas uh, because they know now, and the, at the end of their life, that they wouldn't have died. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have literally killed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably would have worked. Yeah. At least they would have learned great things and lived a mm-hmm. different life of mm-hmm. adventure than they ended up living. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay and I's hearts are not to scorn you or to shame you or to judge you. No way. Our hearts are just to challenge you to keep going because yeah. this life is too short and you have the opportunity mm-hmm. to live a life of adventure. You have the opportunity to live a life of slaying giants mm-hmm. in the world. You have a life, you have an opportunity to discover pain points that are in people's lives. And you have something, I know you have something to offer that will take away some of that pain or alleviate Mm -hmm. pain in the world. Whatever it is, our hearts are here today to say, go, Mm -hmm. do it. It will be scary. It will hurt. You Mm -hmm. will probably lose some friends. I'm sure of it. Um, And for people that say, oh no, I don't know. I I wouldn't trust those people, frankly. Um, We have found that there are definitely, you do have an opportunity to find out who your friends are Mm -hmm. when you start to get to this level. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the most part, they're still there and they're amazing. Um, But there are pain points. The opinion of others will rise Mm -hmm. and you won't like everything that people say. Mm -hmm. Do it anyway. And we're here to cheer you on. Yeah. We were talking before we started this about our friend Kim, who, um, oh, I so emotional today, but, um, she's incredible. So she had this thing in her heart where she wanted to make sure that she knew the women in our local strip club knew that they were loved. Um, it's so easy to look down on people in professions that we don't agree with or whatever and overlook or just not discuss it. And so in Medford, if you're from Southern Oregon, you know that the strip club is right on the corner of Main Street and Riverside. So it's very, very um, populated location. And um, she she called me and said, um, I want to do this thing and I want you to do it with me. And I want to go into our strip club and I want to just let the girls know that they're amazing. And um, honestly, because of our faith that Jesus loves them. And I just... I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know I want to do it. Would you go with me? And I was like, ah, you know, my plate's kind of full and, um, I'm pretty busy. I, I don't know. So then she asked me again. She, it was a couple of weeks later. She went to this conference and she knew that she knew that she was supposed to do it. And she said, would you go with me? And I knew at that point that I was making excuses, um, because I was afraid of how it would look if I went into the strip club. And 
So I said, yes, of course. And um, it was just before Valentine's Day. So we decided to take the girls roses and uh, we parked under the bridge and we we were so terrified to take those, uh, we called it the last three steps into the club because that's right on the corner of Main Street and Riverside. And we were so afraid that someone would see us and think that we weren't had that we didn't have good intentions or we would be judged or whatever. And so we took those last three steps and we went in there and met some of the most incredible, amazing, strong, independent, beautiful women we've ever been able to meet. And um, it all started because we knew that we had to take those three steps of risking our reputation or what the Christian community might think of us for going into such a place. And um, while I'm not a part of the ministry anymore, Kim and her team are going strong and they've been in there six or seven years. And so sometimes the sacrifice is our reputation. Sometimes the sacrifice is going outside the lines of what the people closest to you think is appropriate. Um, I mean, certainly that's where we get our, um, our name of outsiders is, is we love and we value um, the outsiders in life. And, and we know the, I mean, we, we are outsiders in, in almost every way. And so um, sometimes it's not financial. Sometimes it's something deeper that you yeah. have to give. True. Although I would say Kim has invested a chunk of her own funds yeah. to make oh, this totally. work. Oh, totally. I mean, she takes And gifts. she's taking yeah. great risks and coming to other organizations yeah. and asking for support. You're right. Yeah. And who wants to ask for money? I mean, nobody grows up, as I've always joked <laughs> with my career, wanting to be a fundraiser. I yeah. mean, that is a very uncomfortable thing. Um, but she has taken a look at what she believes is her purpose, her mission, mm-hmm. and she's willing and has now invested. You're right. Yeah. And... And it is such a beautiful thing, you know, to be a part of. Um, So we're almost out of time, but today's a little bit of a ramble. It's a little (laughs) less focused than we tend to be, but I think that's okay because I, I want you to be encouraged today that Mm -hmm. if you need to take a next step, then keep Mm -hmm. taking the next step. But some of you have taken 20, 30, 40 of those steps, which we absolutely celebrate. And we're challenging you specifically to say, it might be time now to actually invest. Mm Mm-hmm the time, the risk of reputation or, and, or the literal money yep. um, that it's going to take to go to the mm-hmm. next level. Yep. It's time to be all in. Yes. That's all what in. it is. And I think it, that thing where we have to say we're all in isn't a one-time thing. I think right now in our season, we mm-hmm. have to get up almost every morning and say we're all in mm-hmm. and it's scary and hard and exhausting, but it's, worth it. I'm so teary this morning because yeah. I'm so passionate about this. And this thing of us not wanting to be in all in or being too afraid to be all in, it robs us of who we are created to be. It robs us of fulfillment and purpose and deep relationships. Yeah. And um, I think that's why we know that this is a message that even if you aren't in this place yet, you will be at some point and we want you to hear our words. Yeah. We love you guys. Yes. We are your biggest fans. We're yes. cheering you on today. Uh, would love to hear any comments or thoughts mm-hmm. uh, from you inside of outsider nation on our Facebook page. Um, and just know that you're not alone. Yeah. We're literally walking this with you right now. <laughs> right now today. All right. We'll see you guys next week. We love see you. you. Soon. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Menopause for me is something that started in my mid-40s and is still, quite frankly, going on. There have been both psychological and physical ups as well as downs. The TV presenter Davina McCall likened menopause 
to when she was a drug addict. She's among some well-known names to speak frankly about her experience of this period in women's lives. Well, ahead of World Menopause Day, raising awareness about it, the Countess of Wessex highlighted the detrimental effect it can also have on our careers. To think that women are having to leave the workplace because of this is just tragic. We are fabulous in our 40s. We're even more fabulous in our 50s, 60s and 70s. Sophie, who's 56, was the first member of the royal family to talk openly about her own experience of going through it. So can employers do more to support women? How much support is now available? And what is life like after the menopause? Hello and welcome to the Sky News Daily podcast with me, Jane Secker. Hot flushes, brain fog and fatigue are just a few of the symptoms we have to endure. How's your support group going? Mental. October is just the most ridiculous month of the year when it comes to menopause. Everybody wants to speak to you. Well, it's good if it raises awareness. I mean, I think that's our fundamental problem, isn't it? Can you both hear me, Joanna and Diane? Yes. Hi, Jane. Loud and clear. I'm joined today by Joanna Jensen, an entrepreneur who suffered badly with the menopause, and Diane Danzebrink, who's a founder of Menopause Support. Diane, let's start with you, really. Why did you get involved in it? And, and for you, when did you first realise that this was something that was affecting your life? I started Menopause Support and got involved in creating the Make Menopause Matter campaign purely because of my own experience. Um, So back in 2012, I had to have a total hysterectomy, which put me into surgical menopause. And unfortunately, I didn't get the right information and support either prior to that surgery or directly after it. And very long story short, the symptoms for me were very much psychological symptoms and took me to a point in my life where I came very close to ending it. I was very fortunate to have somebody in my life who got me the help that I needed when I needed it. But once I started to feel a little bit like myself again, I started to look at, was I just very unlucky or were there other women out there struggling? And essentially, I opened a Pandora's box of just the most awful experiences and stories and just thought, this can't be allowed to go on. Somebody has to do something to change this. And, you know, made sure that that was I was going to be involved in that and changing the menopause landscape. And Joanna, what about you? What was your experience? I became perimenopausal when I was 40, but I genuinely didn't know what it was. And it was literally a case of me feigning mom and saying, oh, someone's changed the washing powder. I'm so itchy. My skin's on fire and I have very sensitive skin anyhow. She said, oh, no, you're perimenopausal. And that was the conversation. And I didn't know what it meant or how it would affect me. She said that she became perimenopausal at the age of 40 and how it manifested itself with her in hot flushes and night sweats. And I sort of didn't really think anything of it because nobody had ever discussed it. Nobody actually talked to you about what that meant. And then I had a number of gynecological problems and had a couple of emergency surgeries resulting in a partial hysterectomy. And the whole way through this, no one ever sat me down and talked about the changes that I was experiencing that could be hormonally related. I mean, in our book, HRT, in our generation, I think we were told that it was really dangerous and it created cancer and and, and all these myths around it. And I think you just felt that this wasn't an option. And it was only having read around it and realised that my symptoms, I actually even took myself off to go and see a psychiatrist because I thought I was going mad. It was this inability to actually go through the day without becoming almost like a Jekyll and Hyde to yourself. I had two small children and I was in the middle of a starting up a business. The pressure of all of that manifested with this sort of out of body experience was completely overwhelming. And so going through then a a number of surgeries and at no stage did anyone say, hold on a minute, you're actually perimenopausal and there are treatments out there that can help you. That never happened. We've touched on 
psychological impacts. I suppose for those listening who haven't gone through the menopause or don't know what the signs and symptoms are, D- Diane, maybe just, just explain sort of briefly what are the kind of things that women can face when they hit the menopause and the perimenopause? So symptoms really fall into three categories. So it's psychological, cognitive and physical. Generally, psychological symptoms, lots of women will report increased anxiety, low mood, feeling flat, a loss of confidence. They'll also around cognition, perhaps some will struggle with memory and concentration. And then, as you say, the sort of the symptom that everybody knows is hot flushes. But unfortunately, there are lots and lots of other physical symptoms, too. And those things can include achy joints. They can include dry, itchy skin, dry eyes, dry mouth, changes to your hair, changes to things like gut and bowel health. The symptoms that absolutely nobody wants to talk about are what we call the genitourinary symptoms. So things like increased urinary urgency or frequency, vulval and vaginal discomfort, and all of those things, as Joanna said, if you don't understand what's happening to you, that just simply increases your anxiety. So anxiety, I would say, is probably the most common symptom that we hear reported. And Joanna, why do you think we don't talk about it? Historically, was it because it was all a bit... (laughs) I won't say Les Dawson, all a bit downstairs and ladies don't talk about things like that in public. It was just a bit taboo. I think it's fundamentally a very British thing. It's it's a bit like we don't talk about childbirth. It is a bit of the, you know, it, the business end and nobody really talks about it. Because if you look on the continent, you know, when you're 18, you register with a gynaecologist. And from that moment onwards, you'll have an annual visit where you're fully checked up from your vaginal health to your breasts to your mental health, your, to your libido, because libido indeed is actually a sign of how well and fit you're feeling. So all of these things will be monitored on an annual basis. And in fact, there are no menopausal charities in Germany because it's so well and openly discussed. But here, for some unknown reason, it's almost like it's taboo. We're not meant to discuss women's health. And statistically, there are 13 million women in this country who are going through perimenopause or menopause. So that's quite a large segment of this population that is unable to really understand what's going on. So talking about it is obviously really important. And I know lots of people have, uh, especially a lot of celebrities have in in recent years, come out and talked about it a lot more openly, which is great because it certainly seems to be making it onto TV screens and onto the radios and even commercials. I mean, my 10-year-old the other day asked me what the menopause was because he'd just watched a TV advert where it was mentioned. And I thought, well, that's fantastic because it's out there as a word that, that is just in society. But what else do you think we could be doing, Diane? There are really key things that we could do. The three aims of our Make Menopause Matter campaign is to have mandatory training for all GPs because currently all GPs do not have mandatory menopause training, which is madness when you think it's going to directly affect 50% of the population. The second is to have better guidance and support in every workplace, because far too many women are leaving the workplace due to a lack of understanding around menopause and a lack of support. And the third was to have menopause included in the new RSE curriculum in schools. And I'm delighted to say that we have moved ahead because we actually achieved that back in July 2019. And it was actually applied to the curriculum in September 2020. That's in England only. And obviously, we want to see that happen throughout the UK. But the other thing that we really need is we need a government-backed public health campaign about menopause because none of us ever learn anything about it. So a lack of understanding creates a lack of compassion. It means that we don't know what's happening to us when it comes along. And menopause is not just a women's issue. It might directly affect 50% of the population, but it will at some point indirectly affect the other 50%, whether they are partners, family members, colleagues, etc. So the key is information, education, guidance and support. And we need those who are in positions to be able to make those changes to actually take some action rather than just talking about it. That's a really good point, the other people, isn't it, Joanna? Because you said that you had very young children when you first started suffering. But most women, if they've had children, 
they're usually in their sort of teens by the time mum hits the menopause and dealing with puberty on one hand and the menopause on the other in one household it's a pretty frantic combination isn't it totally and I mean I started very young becoming perimenopausal I'm 51 now so I'm sort of the average age for women reaching the menopause in this country and my eldest is 15 so had I you know not been in the position I'm in now it'd be a smorgasbord of excitement in our house But, you know, going back to what Di said, the education for children to understand what mum is going through is utterly vital for partners to understand what she's going through, too, but also within the workplace. And this is what's quite extraordinary is this lack of knowledge, this lack of understanding in this country at the moment. Women over 50 are the fastest growing part of the UK workforce and you need to win with women because otherwise it has economic consequences here. Not forgetting as well that many, many women are carers. They're doing unpaid work. They're not represented within the GDP of this country. And if you lose them, it ultimately affects the economy here. So this is a win-win from a government initiative to A, support in schools, which I'm delighted to hear that started happening, to support with GP education. And now is a time when GPs are absolutely strapped it will help them to diagnose correctly rather than what I hear constantly is women being diagnosed with depression. But having a government initiative, and I'm thinking in my mind, and I don't know if you are, died the likes of the AIDS awareness. Exactly that. That we had when we were teens. This affects pretty much every person in the UK, but it is life-changing. Once it's understood, once you understand what is going on, with your mind and with your body, it is utterly, utterly life-changing. It is prevention rather than cure here. Just staying with that point about GPs and the paucity of training, uh, Diane, I mean, I have to say that when I went through the perimenopausal symptoms, my GP was lovely and she basically gave me a few websites and said, go away, have do a bit of research and then come back and tell me what you want to do. And I was slightly astonished that that was kind of her advice. You know, you, you'll know as much as me if, if you do a mm. bit of reading. And she was a very sympathetic GP who, who was very interested in HRT and was happy to talk about it and happy to prescribe it. But it seems that for lots of women, when they go to the GP, if they are suffering from these symptoms, they don't have such a happy experience. No, exactly. And it is unfair for women, but it's also doing no justice to GPs for them not to be correctly educated. Because, you know, these people are, they're very busy people. You know, over the last couple of years, it has become even worse for them. And you end up with women going back to see GPs four, five, six, seven, eight times because they have all these different symptoms, but they can only speak about one symptom at a time. So they're going back many times. We also hear from women who have been referred to cardiology for heart palpitations or to rheumatology for their aches and pains, you know, most worryingly to psychiatry for mental health issues, when actually these are all related to menopause. So this is not only needless suffering for women, but it's also a waste of GP time and it's costing the NHS an absolute fortune. I mean, we currently waste just under £10 million a year by giving women over 45 blood tests for perimenopause. When our national NICE guidance is absolutely clear, do not give blood tests to women over 45. Their hormones are fluctuating. It's a waste of time. You know, for me, nobody wants to see another human being suffer needlessly. But there is also a financial element to this. We're constantly being told that our NHS is underfunded, doesn't have enough money. So what we don't want to be doing is we don't want to be wasting NHS resources either in time or in money. I imagine you both have a view on it, but HRT that you can get from your GP, you still have to pay for. Do you you think, Diane, that HRT is something that should be available freely in this country? As you may know, on the 29th of October is going to be the second reading of the menopause bill, which has been brought by the MP Carolyn Harris, who is actually calling for HRT to be free. I think menopause is not something that you have any choice over. 
And unfortunately, what we see is we see women who are slipping through the net. So there are people who can afford to pay for their prescriptions. However, there are those who, if they maybe have two or three things on prescription and they're only being allowed that prescription once a month, which is absolute madness, there seems to be no blanket agreement in the NHS as to how many months of a prescription a patient is given once they're settled on HRT. So you will find some who are given a month's prescription, you'll find others who are given three months, others who are given six, and others who are given 12. So if you're somebody who's only been given a month and you're paying for three items, that's around £30 now. If you get 12 months, you're paying £30 for 12 months. You know, it's it's completely ridiculous situation. So it would actually be much fairer to everybody if it was free for everybody. And Joanna, we talked about HRT uh, just sort of rather blithely there. And, and you were saying that, that in past years, previous generations were quite sceptical about it. There was the link to cervical cancer and that concerned people. But there's since been a great deal of research, hasn't there, which has shown actually Yes, there is a small increase in the cervical cancer risk. It's very small, but there is actually a much larger decrease in in the breast cancer risk. So actually, when you balance it out, it, it is, on the whole, better for most women. Absolutely. And I mean, look, I know HRT doesn't work for everyone and some people can't have it. I've actually had cervical cancer and I'm on HRT. And I wish somebody had told me about this 11 years ago because it has absolutely been life changing for me. I have it all done privately because even through a private GP, when I said that I wanted to go on HRT, all he could talk about was vaginal dryness. And I talked about my mood swings. I talked about my anxiety. I talked about my mental health. And every single time it circled back to my vaginal dryness. And I said, but I don't have it. And this is not what I'm talking about. These are my symptoms. I subsequently go to a hormone GP who is absolutely unbelievable. She took me through exactly what was going on with my hormones so I could completely understand. She made me feel like I was not alone and that I was joined by many, many women in feeling how I felt. And that comfort of numbers is amazing. And You know, what I do anyhow, because I've had cervical cancer, I have a smear every year in any case. And she teaches you how to feel your breasts. She's been incredibly sensible. Funnily enough, she's German. So she's been brought up with this behavior throughout of her life. And it was the best thing I ever did. And you just like it's anything in life. You have to weigh up the risks Mm -hmm. and you have to assess the risks for your own individual case and find someone who you could talk those through with. But you're obviously in a lucky position that you've been able to do this privately. Most women can't do that. And it does seem astonishing, doesn't it, that these services are out there for those who can afford them, but 50% of the population are affected by this. It's total madness. I mean, if it was up to me, I would have women's health clinics, which could be part of local hospitals or part of local GP surgeries, And they would be there managing women's health from, again, the age of 18 upwards and using this as a way to prevent cost on the NHS, to be proactive, to understand, to have a place for women to ask any question they may have. You know, there are so many gynecological issues that women struggle with that they don't feel they've got the opportunity to talk to others about. And I think by having units or areas where they can go and make an appointment like you would with your GP, but knowing you've got broader length of time, I think that preventative approach would be highly economic and highly cost-saving. A recent poll of nearly 4,000 women found most felt the menopause or the period leading up to it impacted their careers hugely. More than half took time off work due to symptoms, with nearly one in five away for more than eight weeks. To add some context to that, there are around five million working women in the UK aged between 45 and 60. Coming up, what more can employers do to support women going through the menopause? We've talked about the the physical aspect and touched on the mental health aspect, but the work aspect, which is a big thing, isn't it, Diane? So many women leaving the workplace. Why is this in this age group? What is it about the menopause and work that make the two things often quite tricky together? Well, as we said, you know, this lack of understanding, this lack of recognising our own symptoms 
increases anxiety, but also if you're experiencing, and it's not necessarily the cognitive symptoms, you know, memory and concentration obviously are very important in the workplace. However, it could be, you know, sort of I've counselled women who have had to leave work because they can no longer sit in an office chair for eight hours a day because of their vulval and vaginal symptoms. But they had no idea that that was related to perimenopause, so were unable to get help for it. I've lost count of the amount of nurses that I have counselled who have left work because they feel such a huge responsibility to their patients But if they're not firing on all cylinders, they feel that the best thing for them to do is actually to leave the workplace. And when we consider that around 70 percent of NHS staff are women and the average age of them is around 43, if the NHS doesn't get a handle on this, we are going to be in very, very big trouble. It's partly lack of recognition from women themselves because of lack of understanding and because nobody's ever told them what perimenopause represents, but also there is this general lack of awareness, which I'm really pleased to say is starting to improve in the workplace. If you don't understand what somebody is going through, it's difficult to support. So again, it's why we need more education there. And Joanna, what can employers do? There's so much you can do. I'll give you an example of what we do here at Child's Farm is every year we bring in Dr. Mandy, who's our local hormone specialist GP, and she talks to the entire workforce about practical changes that happen to bodies as we get older, both men and women, but with specific emphasis and changes to our hormones during pregnancy and the menopause, because they're very similar. They can be very similar in cases. We have information about the effects of the menopause on women on our intranet site, And every woman over 40 is given a free consultation with Dr. Mandy, as well as the opportunity to have a private annual smear test and occasional mammogram checks. Anyone, again, over 40 who feels that they may be at risk because of previous cancer. But our HR as well is fully behind this and they train on the understanding, all the senior managers on the understanding of the impact of the menopause on women and signs to look for to support this. So this is not hard to do. You know, I'm the owner of this business and I can drive it because of my own experience, but 70% of our workforce is women and 25% of them are over 40. So it really, really matters. And how the staff respond to this is amazing. They feel that they're being listened to. They feel that they are being included. Without question, everyone goes away feeling that we actually really, really care about their welfare And the younger members of the team turn around and say, wow, gosh, we're so lucky to hear this. If you never heard any of this, how on earth did you know what was wrong with you? Diane, there is life after the menopause. There are some some lovely parts of, of, in a sense, leaving that part of your life behind, aren't there? It's an enormous opportunity. Once you do have the right help and support, it's a great opportunity to be able to stop and step back and review. Look at... All the things that you've achieved, everything that, you know, sort of you're happy with, but also there might be changes that you want to make. It's a really good opportunity for you to look at perhaps anything that, you know, sort of you're still looking to achieve, whether that's personally or professionally. It's a good opportunity to look at how you're caring for yourself. So whether that's your lifestyle, your diet, your exercise, whether that's your stress levels, not always easy to moderate, but certainly worth considering. So I think it is a really good opportunity to take stock and then consider how you want to live the rest of your life. Do you know, there's this wonderful thing called the grandmother syndrome, and there are very few humans, um, types of aphid, giraffes, and a couple of whales are the only mammals that actually go through menopause. And it's called the grandmother syndrome because um, grandmothers are full of wisdom. And so we stop having our periods and we stop being able to reproduce. So we can spend time passing on this wisdom to others. And in fact, it credits us menopausal women from actually having developed a more robust homo sapien and one with a longer life longevity. So there is a win-win in there after all. And I think it's a rather lovely way to be perceived. 
We got in touch with the Royal College of GPs to ask about calls for mandatory menopause training. They told us it's on the curriculum and added that they're also working with NHS England to address concerns after some women felt that they were not being taken seriously when seeking support. We also contacted the Department of Health to get their thoughts on a government-backed public health campaign, but hadn't heard back by the time we put this podcast together. That's it. Until next time, my thanks to Joanna, Diane and to you for listening to the Sky News Daily podcast hosted by me, Jane Secker. This edition was produced by Annie Joyce, along with our interviews producer, Tatiana Alderson and Emily Hume. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find plenty more like it where you found this one. And we'd love a review while you're there. The climate crisis can be an overwhelming and emotional conversation. We will not let you get away with this. But it isn't just about cutting carbon emissions or reporting on disasters. On Sky News Climatecast, we'll examine the big issues in depth with scientists, policymakers and activists. Every week, we'll highlight how small changes can make a big difference as we look for solutions to climate change problems. Sky News Climatecast. Listen, follow, subscribe. episode please leave us a review on itunes be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.